Chapter Twelve of Red Gauntlet by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter Twelve, Narrative of Alan Fairford continued. The room was no sooner deprived of Mister Maxwell of Summertrees's presence than the provost looked very warily above, beneath and around the apartment hitching his chair towards that of his remaining guest and began to speak in a whisper which could not have startled the smallest mouse that creeps on floor mr fairford said he you are a good lad and what is more you are my old friend your father's son your father has been agent for this burg for years and has a good deal to say with the council so there have been a sort of obligations between him and me it may have been now on this side and now on that but obligations there have been i am but a plain man mr fairford but i hope you understand me i believe you mean me well provost and i am sure replied fairford you can never better show your kindness than on this occasion that's it that's the very point i would be at mr allan replied the provost besides i am as becomes well my situation a staunch friend to kirk and king meaning this present establishment in church and state and so as i was saying you may command my best advice i hope for your assistance and cooperation also said the youth certainly certainly said the wary magistrate well now you see one may love the kirk and yet not ride on the rigging of it and one may love the king and yet not be cramming him eternally down the throat of the unhappy folk that may chance to like another king better i have friends and connections among them mr fairford as your father may have clients they are flesh and blood like ourselves these poor jacobite bodies sons of adam and eve after all and therefore i hope you understand me i am a plain-spoken man i am afraid i do not quite understand you said fairford and if you have anything to say to me in private my dear provost you had better come quickly out with it for the laird of summertrees must finish his letter in a minute or two not a bit man pate is a long-headed fellow but his pen does not clear the paper as his greyhound does the tinwald firs i gave him a wipe about that if you noticed i can say anything to pate in peril indeed he is my wife's near kinsman but your advice provost said allan who perceived that like a shy horse the worthy magistrate always started off from his own purpose just when he seemed approaching to it well you shall have it in plain terms for i am a plain man ye see we will suppose that any friend like yourself were in the deepest hole of the nith sand making a spraddle for your life 
now you see such being the case i have little chance of helping you being a fat short-armed man and no swimmer and what would be the use of my jumping in after you i understand you i think said alan fairford you think that darcy latimer is in danger of his life me i think nothing about it mr alan but if he were as i trust he is not he is no drop's blood akin to you mr alan but here your friend summertrees said the young lawyer offers me a letter to this red gauntlet of yours what say you to that me ejaculated the provost me mr alan i say neither buff nor sty to it but ye dinna ken what it is to look a red gauntlet in the face better try my wife who is but a fourth cousin before ye venture on the laird himself just say something about the revolution and see what a look she can give you i shall leave you to stand all the shots from that battery provost replied fairford but speak out like a man do you think summer trees means fairly by me fairly he is just coming fairly i am a plain man mr fairford but ye said fairly i do so replied alan and it is of importance to me to know and to you to tell me if such is the case for if you do not you may be an accomplice to murder before the fact and that under circumstances which may bring it near to murder under trust murder who spoke of murder said the provost no danger of that mr alan only if i were you to speak my plain mind here he approached his mouth to the ear of the young lawyer and after another acute pang of travail was safely delivered of his advice in the following abrupt words take a keek into pate's letter before ye deliver it fairford started looked the provost hard in the face and was silent while mr crosby with the self-approbation of one who has at length brought himself to the discharge of a great duty at the expense of a considerable sacrifice nodded and winked to alan as if enforcing his advice and then swallowing a large glass of punch concluded with the sigh of a man released from a heavy burden i am a plain man mr fairford a plain man said maxwell who entered the room at that moment with the letter in his hand provost i never heard you make use of the word but when you had some sly turn of your own to work out the provost looked silly enough and the laird of summertrees directed a keen and suspicious glance upon alan fairford who sustained it with professional intrepidity there was a moment's pause i was trying said the provost to dissuade our young friend from his wild goose expedition and i said fairford am determined to go through with it trusting myself to you mr maxwell i conceive that i rely as i before said on the word of a gentleman i will warrant you said maxwell from all serious consequences some inconveniences 
you must look to suffer to these i shall be resigned said fairford and stand prepared to run my risk well then said summertrees you must go i will leave you to yourselves gentlemen said the provost rising when you have done with your crack you will find me at my wife's tea-table and a more accomplished old woman never drank catlap said maxwell as he shut the door the last word has him speak it who will and yet because he is a willy wa body and has a plausible tongue of his own and is well enough connected and especially because nobody could ever find out whether he is whig or tory this is the third time they have made him provost but to the matter in hand this letter mr fairford putting a sealed one into his hand is addressed you observe to mr harry's of burnsworth and contains your credentials for that gentleman who is also known by his family name of red gauntlet but less frequently addressed by it because it is mentioned something invidiously in a certain act of parliament i have little doubt he will assure you of your friend's safety and in a short time place him at freedom that is supposing him under present restraint but the point is to discover where he is and before you are made acquainted with this necessary part of the business you must give me your assurance of honour that you will acquaint no one either by word or letter with the expedition which you now propose to yourself how sir answered allan can you expect that i will not take the precaution of informing some person of the route i am about to take that in case of accident it may be known where i am and with what purpose i have gone thither and can you expect answered maxwell in the same tone that i am to place my friend's safety not merely in your hands but in those of any person you may choose to confide in and who may use the knowledge to his destruction na na i have pledged my word for your safety and you must give me yours to be private in the matter gif gaff you know allan fairford could not help thinking that this obligation to secrecy gave a new and suspicious colouring to the whole transaction but considering that his friend's release might depend upon his accepting the condition he gave it in the terms proposed and with the purpose of abiding by it and now sir he said whither am i to proceed with this letter is mr harry's at brokenburn he is not i do not think he will come thither again until the business of the stake nets be hushed up nor would i advise him to do so the quakers with all their demureness can bear malice as long as other folk and though i have not the prudence of mr provost who refuses to ken where his friends are concealed during adversity lest perchance he should be asked to contribute to their relief yet i do not think it necessary or prudent to inquire into red gauntlet's wanderings poor man but wish to remain at perfect freedom to answer if asked at 
that i ken nothing of the matter you must then go to old tom trumbles at annan tam turnpenny as they call him and he is sure either to know where red gauntlet is himself or to find some one who can give a shrewd guess but you must attend that old turnpenny will answer no question on such a subject without you give him the passport which at present you must do by asking him the age of the moon if he answers not light enough to land a cargo you are to answer than plague on aberdeen almanacs and upon that he will hold free intercourse with you and now i would advise you to lose no time for the parole is often changed and take care of yourself among these moonlight lads for laws and lawyers do not stand very high in their favour i will set out this instant said the young barrister i will but bid the provost and mrs crosby farewell and then get on horseback so soon as the ostler of the george inn can saddle him as for the smugglers i am neither gauger nor supervisor and like the man who met the devil if they have nothing to say to me i have nothing to say to them you are a meddled young man said summertrees evidently with increasing good will on observing an alertness and contempt of danger which perhaps he did not expect from allan's appearance and profession a very meddled young fellow indeed and it is almost a pity here he stopped abort what is a pity said fairford it is almost a pity that i cannot go with you myself or at least send a trusty guide they walked together to the bedchamber of mrs crosby for it was in that asylum that the ladies of the period dispensed their tea when the parlour was occupied by the punch-bowl you have been good bairns to-night gentlemen said mrs crosby i am afraid summertrees that the provost has given you a bad browst you are not used to quit the lee side of the punch-bowl in such a hurry i say nothing to you mr fairford for you are too young a man yet for stoop and bicker but i hope you will not tell the edinburgh fine folk that the provost has scrimped you of your coggy as the song says i am much obliged for the provost's kindness and yours madame replied allan but the truth is i still have a long ride before me this evening and the sooner i am on horseback the better this evening said the provost anxiously had you not better take daylight with you to-morrow morning mr fairford will ride as well in the cool of the evening said summertrees taking the word out of allan's mouth the provost said no more nor did his wife ask any questions nor testify any surprise at the suddenness of their guest's departure having drunk tea allan fairford took leave with the usual ceremony the laird of summertrees seemed studious to prevent any further communication between him and the provost and remained lounging on the landing-place of the stair while they made their adieus heard the provost ask if allan proposed a speedy return and the latter reply that his stay was uncertain 
and witnessed the parting shake of the hand which with a pressure more warm than usual and a tremulous god bless and prosper you mr crosby bestowed on his young friend maxwell even strolled with fairford as far as the george although resisting all his attempts at further inquiry into the affairs of red gauntlet and referring him to tom trumbull alias turnpenny for the particulars which he might find it necessary to inquire into at length allan's hack was produced an animal long in neck and high in bone accoutred with a pair of saddle-bags containing the rider's travelling wardrobe proudly surmounting his small stock of necessaries and no way ashamed of a mode of travelling which a modern mr silvertongue would consider as the last of degradations allan fairford took leave of the old jacobite paid in peril and set forward on the road to the loyal burg of annan his reflections during his ride were none of the most pleasant he could not disguise from himself that he was venturing rather too rashly into the power of outlawed and desperate persons for with such only a man in the situation of red gauntlet could be supposed to associate there were other grounds for apprehension several marks of intelligence betwixt mrs crosby and the laird of summertrees had not escaped allan's acute observation and it was plain that the provost's inclinations towards him which he believed to be sincere and good were not firm enough to withstand the influence of this league between his wife and friend the provost's adieus like macbeth's amen had stuck in his throat and seemed to intimate that he apprehended more than he dared give utterance to laying all these matters together allan thought with no little anxiety on the celebrated lines of shakespeare a drop that in the ocean seeks another drop etc but pertinacity was a strong feature in the young lawyer's character he was and always had been totally unlike the horse hot at hand who tires before noon through his own over-eager exertions in the beginning of the day on the contrary his first efforts seemed frequently inadequate to accomplishing his purpose whatever that for the time might be and it was only as the difficulties of the task increased that his mind seemed to acquire the energy necessary to combat and subdue them if therefore he went anxiously forward upon his uncertain and perilous expedition the reader must acquit him of all idea even in a passing thought of the possibility of abandoning his search and resigning darcy latimer to his destiny a couple of hours riding brought him to the little town of annan situated on the shores of the solway between eight and nine o'clock the sun had set but the day was not yet ended and when he had alighted and seen his horse properly cared for at the principal inn of the place he was readily directed to mr maxwell's friend old tom trumbull 
with whom everybody seemed well acquainted he endeavoured to fish out from the lad that acted as a guide something of this man's situation and profession but the general expressions of a very decent man a very honest body well to pass in the world and such like were all that could be extracted from him and while fairford was following up the investigation with closer interrogatories the lad put an end to them by knocking at the door of mr trumbull whose decent dwelling was a little distant from the town and considerably nearer to the sea it was one of a little row of houses running down to the waterside and having gardens and other accommodations behind there was heard within the uplifting of a scottish psalm and the boy saying they are at exercise sir gave intimation they might not be admitted till prayers were over when however fairford repeated the summons with the end of his whip the singing ceased and mr trumbull himself with his psalm-book in his hand kept open by the insertion of his forefinger between the leaves came to demand the meaning of this unseasonable interruption nothing could be more different than his whole appearance seemed to be from the confidant of a desperate man and the associate of outlaws in their unlawful enterprises he was a tall thin bony figure with white hair combed straight down on each side of his face and an iron-gray hue of complexion where the lines or rather as quinn said of macklin the cordage of his countenance were so sternly adapted to a devotional and even ascetic expression that they left no room for any indication of reckless daring or sly dissimulation in short trumbull appeared a perfect specimen of the rigid old covenanter who said only what he thought right acted on no other principle but that of duty and if he committed errors did so under the full impression that he was serving god rather than man do you want me sir he said to fairford whose guide had slunk to the rear as if to escape the rebuke of the severe old man we were engaged and it is the saturday night alan fairford's preconceptions were so much deranged by this man's appearance and manner that he stood for a moment bewildered and would as soon have thought of giving a cant password to a clergyman descending from the pulpit as to the respectable father of a family just interrupted in his prayers for and with the objects of his care hastily concluding mr maxwell had passed some idle jest on him or rather that he had mistaken the person to whom he was directed he asked if he spoke to mr trumbull to thomas trumbull answered the old man what may be your business sir and he glanced his eye to the book he held in his hand with a sigh like that of a saint desirous of dissolution do you know mr maxwell of summertrees said fairford i have heard of such a gentleman in the countryside but have no acquaintance with him 
answered mr trumbull he is as i have heard a papist for the whore that sitteth on the seven hills ceaseth not yet to pour forth the cup of her abomination on these parts yet he directed me hither my good friend said allan is there another of your name in this town of annan none replied mr trumbull since my worthy father was removed he was indeed a shining light i wish you good even sir stay one single instant said fairford this is a matter of life and death not more than the casting the burden of our sins where they should be laid said thomas trumbull about to shut the door in the inquirer's face do you know said allan fairford the laird of red gauntlet now heaven defend me from treason and rebellion exclaimed trumbull young gentlemen you are importunate i live here among my own people and do not consort with jacobites and mass mongers he seemed about to shut the door but did not shut it a circumstance which did not escape allan's notice mr redgauntlet is sometimes he said called harry's of burns work perhaps you may know him under that name friend you are uncivil answered mr trumbull honest men have enough to do to keep one name undefiled i ken nothing about those who have two good even to you friend he was now about to slam the door in his visitor's face without further ceremony when allan who had observed symptoms that the name of redgauntlet did not seem altogether so indifferent to him as he pretended arrested his purpose by saying in a low voice at least can you tell me what age the moon is the old man started as if from a trance and before answering surveyed the querist with a keen penetrating glance which seemed to say are you really in possession of this key to my confidence or do you speak from mere accident to this keen look of scrutiny fairford replied by a smile of intelligence the iron muscles of the old man's face did not however relax as he dropped in a careless manner the countersign not light enough to land a cargo then plague of all aberdeen almanacs and plague of all fools that waste time said thomas trumbull could you not have said as much at first and standing wasting time and encouraging lookers-on in the open street too come in by in by he drew his visitor into the dark entrance of the house and shut the door carefully then putting his head into an apartment which the murmurs within announced to be filled with the family he said aloud a work of necessity and mercy malachi take the book you will sing six double verses of the hundred and nineteen and you may lecture out of the lamentations and malachi this he said in an undertone see you give them a creed of doctrine that will last them till i come back or else these inconsiderate lads will be out of the house and away to the publics wasting their precious time and it may be putting themselves in the way of missing the morning tide an inarticulate answer from within 
intimated malachi's acquiescence in the commands imposed and mr trumbull shutting the door muttered something about fast bind fast find turned the key and put it into his pocket and then bidding his visitor have a care of his steps and make no noise he led him through the house and out at a back door into a little garden here a plaited alley conducted them without the possibility of their being seen by any neighbour to a door in the garden wall which being opened proved to be a private entrance into a three-stalled stable in one of which was a horse that whinnied on their entrance hush hush cried the old man and presently seconded his exhortations to silence by throwing a handful of corn into the manger and the horse soon converted his acknowledgment of their presence into the usual sound of munching and grinding his provender as the light was now failing fast the old man with much more alertness than might have been expected from the rigidity of his figure closed the window-shutters in an instant produced phosphorus and matches and lighted a stable lantern which he placed on the corn-bin and then addressed fairford we are private here young man and as some time has been wasted already you will be so kind as to tell me what is your errand is it about the way of business or the other job my business with you mr trumbull is to request you will find me the means of delivering this letter from mr maxwell of summertrees to the laird of red gauntlet humph fascious job pate maxwell will still be the old man always pate in peril craig in peril for what i know let me see the letter from him he examined it with much care turning it up and down and looking at the seal very attentively all's right i see it has the private mark for haste and speed i bless my maker that i am no great man or great man's fellow and so i think no more of these passages than just to help them forward in the way of business you are an utter stranger in these parts i warrant fairford answered in the affirmative ay i never saw them make a wiser choice i must call some one to direct you what to do stay we must go to him i believe you are well recommended to me friend and doubtless trusty otherwise you may see more than i would like to show or am in the use of showing in the common line of business saying this he placed his lantern on the ground beside the post of one of the empty stalls drew up a small spring bolt which secured it to the floor and then forcing the post to one side discovered a small trap-door follow me he said and dived into the subterranean descent to which this secret aperture gave access fairford plunged after him not without apprehensions of more kinds than one but still resolved to prosecute the adventure the descent which was not above six feet led to a very narrow passage which seemed to have been constructed for the precise purpose of excluding every one 
who chanced to be an inch more in girth than was his conductor a small vaulted room of about eight feet square received them at the end of this lane here mr trumbull left fairford alone and returned for an instant as he said to shut his concealed trap-door fairford liked not his departure as it left him in utter darkness besides that his breathing was much affected by a strong and stifling smell of spirits and other articles of a savour more powerful than agreeable to the lungs he was very glad therefore when he heard the returning steps of mr trumbull who when once more by his side opened a strong though narrow door in the wall and conveyed fairford into an immense magazine of spirit casks and other articles of contraband trade there was a small light at the end of this range of well-stocked subterranean vaults which upon a low whistle began to flicker and move towards them an undefined figure holding a dark lantern with the light averted approached them whom mr trumbull thus addressed why were you not at worship job and this saturday at even swanston was loading the jenny sir and i stayed to serve out the article true a work of necessity and in the way of business does the jumping jenny sail this tide ay ay sir she sails for i did not ask you where she sailed for job said the old gentleman interrupting him i thank my maker i know nothing of their incomings or outgoings i sell my article fairly and in the ordinary way of business and i wash my hands of everything else but what i wished to know is whether the gentleman called the laird of the solway lakes is on the other side of the border even now ay ay said job the laird is something in my own line you know a little contraband or so there is a statute for him but no matter he took the sands after the splore at the quaker's fish-traps yonder for he has a leal heart the laird and is always true to the countryside but avast is all snug here so saying he suddenly turned on allan fairford the light side of the lantern he carried who by the transient gleam which it threw in passing on the man who bore it saw a huge figure upwards of six feet high with a rough hairy cap on his head and a set of features corresponding to his bulky frame he thought also he observed pistols at his belt i will answer for this gentleman said mr trumbull he must be brought to speech of the laird that will be kittle steering said the subordinate personage for i understood that the laird and his folk were no sooner on the other side than the land-sharks were on them and some mounted lobsters from carlisle and so they were obliged to split and squander there are new brooms out to sweep the country of them they say for the brush was a hard one and they say there was a lad drowned he was not one of the laird's gang so there was the less matter peace prithee peace job rutledge 
said honest pacific mr trumbull i wish thou couldst remember man that i desire to know nothing of your roars and splores your brooms and brushes i dwell here among my own people and i sell my commodity to him who comes in the way of business and so wash my hands of all consequences as becomes a quiet subject and an honest man i never take payment save in ready money ay ay muttered he with the lantern your worship mr trumbull understands that in the way of business well i hope you will one day know job answered mr trumbull the comfort of a conscience void of offence and that fears neither gouger nor collector neither excise nor customs the business is to pass this gentleman to cumberland upon earnest business and to procure him speech with the laird of the solway lakes i suppose that can be done now i think nanty ewart if he sells with the brig this morning tide is the man to set him forward ay ay truly is he said job never man knew the border dale and fell pasture and ploughland better than nanty and he can always bring him to the laird too if you are sure the gentleman's right but indeed that's his own look-out for were he the best man in scotland and the chairman of the damned board to boot and had fifty men at his back he were as well not visit the laird for anything but good as for nanty he is word and blow a damned deal fiercer than christie nixon that they keep such a din about i have seen them both tried by fairford now found himself called upon to say something yet his feelings upon finding himself thus completely in the power of a canting hypocrite and of his retainer who had so much the air of a determined ruffian joined to the strong and abominable fume which they snuffed up with indifference while it almost deprived him of respiration combined to render utterance difficult he stated however that he had no evil intentions towards the laird as they called him but was only the bearer of a letter to him on particular business from mr maxwell of summertrees ay ay said job that may be well enough and if mr trumbull is satisfied that the service is right why we will give you a cast in the jumping jenny this tide and nanty ewart will put you in a way of finding the laird i warrant you i may for the present return i presume to the inn where i left my horse said fairford with pardon replied mr trumbull you have been over far ben with us for that but job will take you to a place where you may sleep rough till he calls you i will bring you what little baggage you can need for those who go on such errands must not be dainty i will myself see after your horse for a merciful man is merciful to his beast a matter too often forgotten in our way of business why master trumbull replied job you know that when we are chased it's no time to shorten sail and so the boys do ride whip and spur he stopped in his speech 
observing the old man had vanished through the door by which he had entered that's always the way with old turnpenny he said to fairford he cares for nothing of the trade but the profit now damned me if i don't think the fun of it is better worth while but come along my fine chap i must stow you away in safety until it is time to go aboard End of chapter twelve